Hey everyone, it's Josh, it's Unreasonable Doubt, and this is a bonus episode. The twofer, I, I promise the twofer, here's the second WVU basketball preview with another person who's very informed, three-time guest now, Mike Kazaza of 24-7 Sports, earsports.com, E-E-R-S-P-O-R-T-S.com. He hosts a podcast with Chris Anderson called Country Roads Confidential. Very good information on football. They'll transition to basketball. They've got you covered. Mike's been doing this a long time. And it's always a pleasure to get informed commentary on WVU basketball. So here is my interview with Mike Kazaza. Dyer Prime is the lead sponsor for Unreasonable Doubt. Call them, 304-767-4445. Okay? All right, Mike Kazaza, welcome again to Unreasonable Doubt, a podcast about West Virginia University basketball. Good to be here, Josh. Uh, I owe you and your legions an apology. Wait a minute. We're starting with an apology? Yeah, we were supposed to do this last week and I'm sure that they were uh they were waiting for the latest episode. <laughs> and I uh, I kicked it. I had I had a I had a sick beagle that got into something when I was raking leaves and I was uh, rushed out and was trying to take care of that and lost track of time and didn't have my phone and by the time I got back you had sent me some very polite but I think probably uh, panicky text messages <laughs> about where are you? What's going on? Nothing like that, of course. But uh, I've been on the other end of that trying to book guests or whatever, and they just they go flighty, and you don't get them. And I hate it when that happens. So that was not my intention. I'm, I'm glad we're able to do this, and uh, I'm going to try 110% this time. Wow. Well, I appreciate uh, the effort. No apology necessary. And I've kept you waiting for this interview for if, if we're putting all our cards on the table. So we'll <laughs> jump right into it. Uh I'm sure covering WVU sports or covering anything during a pandemic has been interesting. How much has it changed, Mike, how you do your job? Immensely. It's, um, it's a face-to-face business. It just is. Like The best of us are good in front of someone's locker room, you know, outside of a, a coach's office, inside of a coach's office. You know, And it's not even the stuff that happens before and after games. Like You'll meet people just to get a coffee sometimes you'll, you'll meet people in hotel lobbies cause you happen to stay in the same hotel as a team and you'll, I don't know, a parent, a coach, a player sometimes. And you'll just talk to them. You know, the times that you see people, typically people are, are normal and nice. And when you see somebody, what do you do? You stop, you talk, you say hello and you get to know people over time that it's so hard right now. And it, it just doesn't work that way. And it's, I could, I could go on and on and complain about how it's, made things difficult for me but everybody has their crosses right now i get that the thing that works that worries me a little bit is that it's really kind of homogenized the product where everybody's going on the same zoom you're listening to the same five people ask the same 12 questions and you're only getting the same seven stories out of it and you have a lot of people who cover the team a lot of organizations who cover the team who are hamstrung the exact same we have to put stuff out we have to get people to buy and to subscribe and to click and to share and a comment and all that and it's really hard when everybody's essentially doing the same thing so in that regard it's been frustrating the the people to people stuff is really it's it's disappointing i like getting to know people for four years when, when players are here they're fun you can do that in some instances it's hard to do 
And, and again, like, I just worry that everybody's getting the same thing and it's going to whittle things down a little bit. Maybe you won't have quite as many people putting stuff out. The good thing is it's a challenge in that you really got to be creative. And I think that we do that where I work and we do a lot of, you know, digital stuff. We do some podcasts, we do video breakdowns, we'll X and O stuff. We do, you know, pictures, moving pictures, Q and a podcast, you know, a lot of stuff that I hope is different. And we've kind of you know, been forced to zig and zag a little bit because again, if you have the same thing and you only have access to a few things, you're not going to have enough stuff out there to make people happy or, or, you know, satisfied. And this happens to be a pretty interesting football season, which maybe we worked out the kinks a little bit right on time because I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about this. This, this is shaping up to be a heck of a basketball season. So I want to make sure that I got my preseason out of the way. <laughs> I use the football season as my preseason for basketball. So hopefully we hit the ground running in basketball and have a lot of fun. Sure. And speaking of consuming the basketball, it's just a weird question. I haven't seen anything from ESPN. Uh, the, Big Big Twelve now ESPN Plus package. It's supposed to replace AT and T Sportsnet Pittsburgh. I haven't seen any announcements for you know the schedules out, but games even into the schedule, not knowing where the games are going to be at. What do you know about specifically December non conference games and what that's going to look like with the switch over from AT and T to ESPN Plus? It's a really good point that. We don't have a very good or even an existing answer to right now. I just think that maybe that you know that that egg hasn't hatched yet, and they got to get it done soon. I was looking at it though. Typically, you have just a small number of games that might go on that channel, but this year I was trying to figure out which ones. Certainly, Youngstown State would be, Robert Morris would be. I don't think you put Richmond on there, right? Maybe. I mean, somebody might pick it up, but that, that might be an ESPN Plus game. My hunch is this, just based on talking to people. The Youngstown State game was not going to be on either one of them, um, which means that might have gotten some odd treatment. I don't know. It could have been streamed. I'm not sure. I do think that you would have gotten Robert Morris on that. I think that Richmond would have made major television network. I don't think, what's the next one, Buffalo? I don't Buffalo. think Buffalo would have. Mm-hmm. That seems like a prime ESPN Plus one. And then after that, you're pretty much into Big 12 the rest of the way. And how many of those Big 12 games are going to be on the, the ESPN Plus? That's the one that probably bugs people the most. People could do without a one-off game against Buffalo or Robert Morris. So what? You don't watch it. You go shopping or whatever that day, especially in that holiday season. You know, no skin off your nose. But those are midweek games, I believe, this year. And the real bummer is when you get into the conference games and you want to see Kansas and you want to see Baylor and you can't because it's on some convoluted streaming platform that – you remember this. The story changed on that thing like four times last Right. Week. Yeah, so I think that, that turned people off, and um, I, I'd be very surprised if, if some of the the major non-conference ones were. I know Georgetown is FS1, and I, I don't have the access to it right now, but I don't think Richmond would be one of those. Yeah, I think Richmond's too big, and one of the reasons they actually pulled that game together, and, and yeah, we'll come to Morgantown, we'll play, was Huggins or somebody saying, we'll get this game on television. That's probably something that makes that happen. Robert Morris, um, Buffalo, I don't know. This seems like they're ESPN Plus games to me. Let's talk about basketball now. Enough about TV and how you do your job. Huggins, on one of these uh, homogenized Zoom calls, was praising Derek Culver as the guy dominating scrimmages in practice. But you look at his stats, sophomore to freshman season, they're eerily similar with just a little bit drop in free throw shooting as a whole. What? How does Culver look different in his junior season based on 
the additions to the team and, and his progression as a player. My guess would be that you'll see cleaner play out of him. I just think that two years of getting really battered and bruised down low, he has to have learned how to operate in that phone booth a little bit, how to slow down, you know, how to, to feel the double team or how to feel the guy on your left shoulder and you know turn on your right. That stuff is going to be important for him because a lot of stuff is going to go through him. So I just think that there are reps and – you know, in-game reps and practice reps and film reps and all that, that he is, again, he's going to be better in that phone booth because that's what he's going to get to work in. He's not going to get a lot of space. Um, I think that he's also a really smart player, too, who should be able to understand now a lot of the angles and a lot of the traps and not like, you know, half-court traps. So the traps that defenses are going to set to him were passing out of a double, uh, pivoting into a double team. Um, putting the ball on the ground sometimes after an offensive rebound. He's got to get over that stuff too, but he's certainly capable. He can do that because, again, he's a really smart guy. Um, I don't think people give him enough credit for that, uh, especially when the way his career started where he just wasn't in love with school. And, and he would tell you that. I think, what, knucklehead is the way that he put it famously? Right, right. Yeah. So that's one thing too. So I, I think we could talk about, yeah, he'll he'll become maybe a, a better jump shooter. He should improve his free throw percentage. Maybe he blocks some shots. That's fine. Performance-wise, his talent is there to take care of that, too. But I think that if he just has more of an experience advantage on his side, or if he thinks his way through some problems and solutions, he's going to be a significantly better player um, because, again, all the physical tools and all the, the actual basketball stuff is there for him. Sure. And and I look at turnovers as something that, yeah. based on your description of something as a statistic, we can see a lowering because he does turn the ball over by being in that phone booth and so spacing and just slowing down may improve that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, speaking of guys on the roster from last year, Mike, who's the guy? Uh, let's talk about guys that weren't on the roster. Who's the guy that didn't play last season that will average the most minutes for the 2021 team? I'm going to go Jalen Bridges. I just think that. The, the popular answer might be and probably will be Isaiah Cottrell. If you posted a poll on Twitter, right? Maybe you should do this, Josh. Scientific experiment for us. <laughs> uh-huh. like, it's a great question. Maybe you should do this, you know, see what it is. But I bet you a lot of people would say Isaiah Cottrell uh, just because. Um, I think that he has a chance to become a really productive player. I just don't know where he's going to get the minutes in this front court with, with Sheboy and Culver and um, Gabe Osaboyan. Mm-hmm. So, my guess then would be that Bridges is going to get the second most points at that small forward position. And are we sure Emmett Matthews is going to be like a 26, 28, 32-minute guy? I don't think so. Um, even if he has a great year, Huggins just doesn't doesn't let you get that much PT out there. So, Bridges has a chance to become a really good shooter. And I think that West Virginia is going to want to play a lot of three-guard stuff or at least have three shooters around the floor. Uh, and maybe you don't want to have, for example, um, a mismatch out there where you have, let's just say, Sherman, McNeil, and McBride on the floor because another team has a wing that's really good. Um, Bridges is like 6'9". <laughs> like, right. If I'm doing my math right here, too. So if he's a shooter who can be 6'9 and guard and be long and rebound, that's going to be an advantage for him. I think he's got a chance to get some minutes here, too. I, I mentioned he's 6'9 because remember last year where we all made a big deal about how Emmett Matthews shot up to like a size, like a six eight, six eight, six eight and a half guy. Right. He says that Bridges is like an inch taller than him. So, 
again, I'm a journalist, but if I'm doing that in my head, that makes him like 6'9". And we haven't right. seen that guy on the floor to really measure him up yet. But again, he might be that type of player. Who knows? I wonder, and see, that makes sense to me, Mike. I wonder if Huggins, how comfortable he is with, because that sounds like small ball to me, right? Like three mm-hmm. guards uh, and Bridges or Matthews and then one of the big guys. Uh, I know he wants rebounding. Can he get rebounding and the things that he wants in a lineup like that? That's where I think Bridges comes in. All the tales about him last year being this guy who put on shooting exhibitions in the in the warmups, and how, you know, how he's got this weird looking like ratchety shot, but it goes in all the time. And Almost like a Lonzo Ball kind of motion from left to right. Right. He says it's gone. He says he got rid of that, which. I'm not sure if we love that or not because he was a pretty good shooter, right? We were just right. talking about that. Um, but I, what, what's been told to us is that he was their best like offensive rebounder outside of the, the obvious names. So whatever a guy like Culver or Sheway didn't get, he was in there grabbing that ball, which is good because Matthews is obviously the, the, the better slasher, I think, at this part of their careers just for experience. And that was always his strength. Matthews, Matthews was never supposed to be a great three-point shooter. He was a really good slasher, triple threat guy. Um, but – he was also a guy who was really good at going in to get rebounds. You remember where his season probably turned last year was when he took that really scary fall against Northern Iowa. Sure. Uh, that was him going in to get a rebound and trying to dunk the rebound there. So that's his thing. But Bridges can give you that a little bit too. Now, if you go smaller, you're really sacrificing that. So if you take off Matthews and you take off Bridges, you're going to have someone out there who is going to be in that. You know, what's what's Sherman and Mc, Mc, uh, McNeil? 6'3", 6'4"? Yeah, in the 6'3", 6'4", range, right. Similar guys, too, and you worry about defensive matchups there. So, um, you know, non-conference would be a good experiment for what they can do with those lineups and how they can do it. I'm also curious to see how much they play Culver and Sheboy apart or how much they play the two bigs apart. Um, just one of those, I guess, four guys in there. I don't think you'll ever see Bridges by himself or Osaboyan by himself, but I wonder how much you'll see, you know, maybe three guards – and instead of Sheboy and Culver, three guards, and then Matthew slash Bridges, Sheboy slash Culver. So some type of combination there because you're right. Um, rebounding is going to be really important if you're small or if you're slow to get outside inside. Or if you just can't box a guy out because you're a little slight, you know, you're a redshirt freshman, for example, and you're not used to that, you really don't have a spot on the floor there. So it's a, it's a really good point, something to keep an eye on. Okay, so not that it means a lot with a, a lot of guys on the roster, a lot of guys going to play if we're basing it on last year. Who do you have as the starting five, I guess, I guess, for the first game as of right now of this recording, West Virginia plays South Dakota State. Who do you think the starting five will be? This is a really good question. I've asked a bunch of people this, too. Um, going back to the initial question, how's your job different? Um, you have to talk to so many more people now because you can't – no one's at practices, right? So you right. really can't see stuff. So. I've tried to do this as best I can. Emails, text messages. And the, the one answer I get is, I, I don't know. Yeah, It would be a guess. I'm not sure. We'll see. You know, you'll know and we know one of those things. Um, I, I think that that's going to be an interesting uh, – um, it'll be an interesting answer to a lot of questions. What I mean by that is not just who starts, but you know, who's – is McBride a point guard? Are we, are we doing this? <laughs> like, is he definitely a point guard? Because I, I watched him last year and I saw him, you know, get stuck with the ball sometimes and, and you know, try to dent that floor wherever they were, he just dribble, dribble, dribble sometimes. But it does seem like that he's been their best guy, and I like to have my best guy on the floor as often as possible. If I can, give him the ball a bunch. So if he can do that, that's cool. One comment that Huggins made that kind of stuck in my head was that talking about the backcourt, he said, um, and his, his two guard in particular, 
He said, you know, there's some times that we could we could put Deuce there um, if we play Jordan and Deuce together. And like that set a little light off in my head because I'm thinking in my head just by the you know the traditional constructs of a of a basketball lineup one two three four five. McCabe would be your one, McBride would be your two, you would think. But if Huggins says, if we play them together, that means that that isn't going to be a pairing you see very often. And it might mean that the two in that situation, McBride, is not actually a two. Maybe he's a one. So now I've gotten my head my head all spun up here. But what I would think that means is that if, again, McBride has been your best guy, he's not playing with McCabe very often. McCabe's definitely a one. That means I think that McCabe is probably starting the game on the bench, and McBride will be your starter out there. I would think Sherman and McNeil would be your two. I don't know which one, but Sherman sounds to me like he's had the better preseason, offseason. Um, I don't know if you know this. You maybe have heard this, but he went eight for eight for three-point range in their I first did. scrimmage. Right. That's scary. So those two out there seems like a good backcourt, and then you're obviously going to have Matthews, Culver, McCabe, or Matthews, Culver, Shebway. I'm I'm curious about the Shebway Culver thing. You could you could argue that you know what beginning of the season tournament haven't played a whole lot yet. We don't want to get stuck in this too big muck again where the ball doesn't move inside and we get really congested in the paint. Let's start the season, the game, the tournament with McCabe, McBride, Sherman, Matthews, Shibway. Something like that. That's a little bit more fluid. Maybe some shots fall in and everything opens up. And you go in with your two bigs after that and then things get back to normal a little bit. That's just me being strategic. But in a normal situation, I would just happen to see McBride, Sherman, Matthews, Col- Culver, and Sheboy. It is going to be interesting, and he, he's got options, so that's a good thing, uh, especially in preparing for WBU. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, but Huggins, we know he's loyal, so it, it. I wonder with McCabe, if McBride's not a one, then is there any other ones on the team besides Jordan? Is, is Kedrian Johnson a one? Initially, he was not. They had him pegged as a pure wing player. And with the plan being that, yeah, we might need a point guard next year. If McBride has a great year, maybe he's a flight risk, you know. And at the very least, you know, he was going to have probably three years because these junior college guys, that first year is tough. And it's kind of a, I don't want to say a lost year, but it can be a wash. But this year doesn't count. So that's a chance you have Keidre and Johnson for three seasons. And I think a lot of people would say, well, certainly McCabe will be gone in two years. He's a junior. Um, and then perhaps, again, if McBride is still around this year, I think they think the stock is high enough for him that he's not going to be here after his junior season. But, now you got Keydrian Johnson there. So maybe not immediately, but from what I gather, he's just gotten reps at point guard because they have so many twos. And right. it's kind of like football where, oh, man, we got so many running backs. Can you play a slot receiver? We would like to get you on the field if we can. Let's see if you can do it. And he's done some good things there. Huggins said in the call the other day that he's their best guy in transition. You know, Take the ball off the rim, take it out of the basket, and go. Uh, he seems like he can do that. I don't think you'll see that anytime soon. I wonder what his what his ceiling is or what his role is this year. I, I like him as a guy that you know, it's a it's a sleepy you know Wednesday afternoon game against Richmond and things aren't going well. Pop him in, and he gets a steal and and one, and all of a sudden they're up by you know nine instead of four, and he sits down and he's kind of ignited the rally there too. But I don't think you'll see him in traditional point guard sets. But here's your here's your thing that everybody kind of forgets. You have to get a guy who can do that because what if someone gets sick? Right. Like, what if you lose McBride or McCabe? You're not going to play the game with one point guard. Maybe Sherman can do it. Maybe McNeil can do it. That's not going to be pretty. 
And then again, that takes you out of other stuff because they're your best twos and your best wings. So maybe it's not a bad idea to train Johnson to see if he can do something like that. Sure. Oh, yeah, the the variables for this season more than any other are going to be interesting. We're already mm-hmm. seeing some of that play out, which leads into my first kind of rapid fire over under questions in preparation for the season. You talked about the Youngstown State game. That's postponed. They, they're going to try to play that later in December. Uh, so many changes in the Bad Boy Mowers crossover classic. Over under 23 and a half games that WVU plays this season. Well, yeah, that's a good question. I, I like the over because I think they're going to make an NCAA tournament run. So I'm going to cheat you there. Now, if you if you say regular season games, that's no, I'm, be that's what I'm saying. I'm going regular season. Let's not cheat. Um, can't push, huh? I bet they'll go over. They've the Big Twelve in football has been, I think, the best conference. They've had some issues, but they haven't had a lot of cancellations. And I only think five of their ten teams have had to cancel or have been affected. So, and again, it's it's been Baylor doing it to other teams, and you know, that's that's unfortunate. But it hasn't been everybody, and you've seen other leagues where darn near every team has taken one. Um, they haven't lost a lot of games to it. You know, they're able to postpone stuff. So, I'm I'm confident the Big Twelve can keep it going. To be frank, Josh, I just have no idea what's going to happen. Like, I look at the the bar charts and everything online, and it seems like it's going the wrong direction. Right. And I look at the schedule, and I see like Tuesday, Saturday, Saturday, Monday. Wednesday, Saturday. I don't know how that makes any sense because we were talking about bubbles before. Like, how can you get maybe like three games knocked out in 72 hours and then take a week or 10 days off because you build in that time in between games or someone's sick, then, you know, you don't wipe out a whole week and have to reschedule a week. So um, I will give you a very uncertain over because I think they're probably smart and they know what they're doing and that's why they're there and I'm here and that they've been good so far. But I could see a whole bunch of potholes and an easy under if things don't go right. Sure. Over or under for the first game, again, as of this recording against South Dakota State, over or under 10.5 players that play for WVU in the first game? Under. Interesting. Unless unless they blow them out, and I don't think you're going to blow out. I don't even know who they're playing. South Dakota State, maybe. As okay. of right now, <laughs> South yeah. Dakota State reported. I don't think even the uh, the tournament has announced that yet. Yeah, so you're you're saying that basically if you go over ten and a half, you're saying that Kedrian Johnson and um, Taj Thweet play basically. All yeah. right, let's go over. Let's go over. Let's go nuts. Let's go over. <laughs> okay, uh, over or under West Virginia, and we all know this one of the worst three point shooting teams, and Huggins historically not great three point shooting teams. Last year, shot twenty nine percent. Over or under 33% from three this season for WVU? Over. That's one of the worst numbers I've ever seen last year, right? It's amazing. I mean, 200, I mean, there were, and there were teams below them, which seems preposterous because it was bad, but 29% is rough. Yeah. I, I like them over here. I just think they have enough good shooters and they got to be better at it. But I feel like I say this every year, um, but like it just, it has to get better. Trouble is that, that number you gave me, what was it again? 29% last year, and I gave you 33 as the yeah. over-under for this year. That 33 is like their average in the Huggins years, too. Right. So that's right about, and maybe you did that on purpose, but like the numbers are like 33.8 or something like that in his career here. So that's not encouraging. That's not great. That's pretty much what they do every year. I just I got a feeling I don't know what it is. I just like Sherman and McNeil shooting, and I don't think you're going to see guys like McCabe and Matthews struggle that much more. And, and Bridges should be an upgrade, too. You're not going to have guys like Jermaine Haley or Slumped 
Matthews or slumped McCabe shooting because they had to shoot. Those are their perimeter options last year. That's not really the case right now. When they got better last year is when they kind of gave Sherman and McNeil the green light, and especially when McNeil started getting it going. Sure. Uh, West Virginia uh, ranked 15 in both the AP and the coaches' preseason poll. Uh, not speaking to the tournament, just final AP ranking over or under 15 and a half over being a higher ranking like 14 or 13 or under being below that. I like them up there. I like them being better. It's uh, why am I nervous about that, Mike? I mean, I, I just have that disposition, but expectations for WVU football and basketball historically uh, in my mind, not great. But when I go through basketball when they've been ranked in uh, the preseason poll, they've made it to the NCAA tournament with the exception of, of two seasons ago. So mm-hmm. uh, they are pretty right about that, but it's I'm curious to see how it plays out this year. But it Here, looks here's like my, it should my be hypothesis on this for you. Um, okay. Their final seven games, right? Let me see if I this right. Yeah, I just wrote this down. Kansas at Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Baylor, at Texas. That's a tough five games there, right? They're not going to go on five. They'll probably win most of those games, so three or four. And then for like the first time in forever, they don't have like Texas Tech, Kansas, Baylor, Kansas, back-to-back to end the season. Um, TCU and Kansas State. I, I just feel like they're not going to fall apart during the, the formative part of the season. They'll have things rolling. If they go four and one or three and two during that five-game stretch, they have a chance to, on a Monday, Saturday, TCU, Kansas State, make a move in the polls by having a two and O week at the very end and sneak up back up in there or, you know, go higher or just kind of put themselves in the right spot. Okay. I like it over or under. And I think I know where you're going with this one and a half WVU guards that average 10 plus points per game this season. Under. Interesting. It's a lot of points here. I mean, you're getting... It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And I think the guys in double digits last year was Oscar and Derek, I believe. I think that was it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm penciling in Deuce based on projections and, again, the talk and just his progression. But Will, as much as we... The, the second year of junior college guys like Sherman and McNeil, will they get the 10-plus a game? It'll be interesting. Well, you're talking... Doubling or tripling your points in some of those instances, too. would be quite a jump. They wouldn't complain, but I would be surprised. Okay. And finally, I'll end with this. Each time I have you on, Mike, I ask you for a one of my favorite players, uh, a story about them that you can share on a podcast. We've gotten great uh, Cam Thurman story, great uh, John Holton story. Do you have a Tariq Phillips story that you can share on a podcast? Yes. Also, No. But yes, I can share one of the podcasts. Okay. Um, that that he was, I, if you watched him, you know, and if you knew him, you know, one of the best competitors. Right. Just did not want to lose. And Huggins tells the story too that when he went to his junior college to check him out, didn't know a lot about him, and or his team or whatever, but he knew the coach and hey, you know, who do you have here? Like you got to get Philip. You got to get Philip. You love him. Why? Well, he's from Jersey. He's tough. You know. But and Huggins as well as a good shooter. I don't know. Maybe he makes him if you want to. Oh, what well, does he play defense? Well, his guy doesn't score a whole lot, so you know probably. You know, I don't know. Does he assist it? Uh, you know he's okay. Sometimes he turns it over. Well, what do you like about him? And he goes well. You know maybe he's not the best shooter. 
and maybe he's not the best scorer and maybe he's not the best you know point guard but his team never loses he always finds a way and that was like one of those anecdotes from recruiting that always stuck with me um true to his his nature he went to a junior college showcase as like a nobody and and blew up like went crazy and dominated everybody and became like an all-american before his second year um and and was just like when redshirt his first year remember he played at west virginia for three years right so redshirt was kind of a nobody went to an invitational and went nuts and everybody's like holy cow and then became like this great first season second year junior college player that west virginia frankly got lucky to get but with connections um his what year was it it would have been what year would have been his 2016 15 16 season Oh, it would have been his junior year, I think. So his, right, second, his second season. Mm-hmm. Okay, they go to Texas Tech, and they're they're just having a it's a hard place to play, even when they weren't very good, and they're having just a bad go of it, and you can tell they're going to lose this game, and they're down by four with like a minute left, and I think they were down by maybe ten in the first half, and then it was like a two or three point game at halftime, um, just weird stuff going on, but he scored eight points in the final minute because he was pissed. Like he, he wasn't happy, you know. There was some there was some really chippy stuff. There was a weird like flagrant foul or or a double tech or something like that. Um, the the foul trouble was really bad for West Virginia as it as it tended to be at those times because they pressed so much they weren't able to press like they wanted to, and, and he was just mad and he was just barking the whole time during the timeouts. You know, you have a lot of those whistles at the end of the game, timeouts, stoppages, and you're trying to figure out all right, you know, how do we get two possessions out of one huddle here, whatever, and. You could you could hear what was going on there, and, and he wanted to get it to work, and and he just refused. He was stealing the ball. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure out exactly what happened, but I know that he had three baskets and then two free throws and like a dunk in the final minute of the game. And you're like, oh my god, all that stuff they said about him is real. And he was just that type of a player too. But what I remember about that is you're watching this crazy performance in the, in the last couple of minutes, like a turn the corner moment for somebody, and. That this is like again, holy cow! What they said is really true about this guy. What do they have for the next year and a half? And I want to say that like Texas Tech missed a shot that could have maybe given him the lead or something like that. And then he turned around and like started walking away, except that the ball was still live, right? <laughs> like Holton had the rebound and lost it. And who was the guy they had that was a good player? Justin Justin Gray at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. He ends up like shooting the three missing, and I think Philip made the, f- the last two free throws to end the game to put it away. They end up winning by four, I think. But just that one little second where he had everything going, and then just turned his head off for a minute. Just like I think even after the game, he said like I thought the ball was out of bounds, I thought the game was over, I thought we won, and he ends up sealing it too. But uh, also, Philip, big tea guy, interesting, hot tea. But he has a he has an England connection, right? I think his mother is British. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that makes sense. Fantastic. Yeah. So he, it was it was a, a an interesting guy too. But uh, again, the most competitive person, and and you that was like a foxhole team. Like you would have oh, yeah a couple of guys that you would go with, and and he would be definitely a first round draft pick in the foxhole. Absolutely. Um, well, that's fantastic. Uh, Mike, as always, I, I try to catch you in a in a less busy time. I've caught you in the most busy time this year, but I always appreciate your insight. Thank you, Mike, for joining me again on Unreasonable Doubt, a podcast about West Virginia University basketball. Anytime, Josh, especially when my dog is healthy. <laughs> All right, thanks. Big thanks to Mike for joining me on the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Kazaza. 
listen to their podcasts, read his stuff on earsports.com. That's it for this episode. Listen on all the platforms or just pick one. Castbox. Subscribe to the podcast. Do it. Basketball in a few days. So excited for season four of Unreasonable Doubt season of WVU basketball for 2020-2021. It's going to be a unique one, right? First game on Wednesday versus South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits. First it was Texas A&M, out. Next, Northern Iowa, changed. I know Huggins was a little grumpy about that. I don't know if that's the cause for it to change, but now they're playing South Dakota State, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on one of the ESPN networks, unconfirmed. South Dakota State, not too shabby, a little bit down from Northern Iowa, I would say. They are picked to win their conference, the Summit Conference. So the home team? We'll see. Until next time, I'm Josh Witt. This has been Unreasonable Doubt, WVU for the 2020-2021 season. They're 0-0. Zero